0: Welcome to Double Truck Stories, the home to some of the best features, investigations, and character portraits from across ESPN. I'm Mike Philbrick, your new host for the Double Truck Stories podcast. In August of 2017, Paris Saint-Germain sent shockwaves through the world of international soccer when they made Neymar de Silva Santos Jr., or Neymar to most of us, the most expensive player in the sport by luring him away from superpower Barcelona with a $263 million transfer fee in a $349 million contract. So now that the balance of power in European soccer has shifted to a mostly forgotten club in Paris, the concern isn't whether PSG can be stopped on the way to a coveted Champions League title. The concern is how it actually happened. PSG is owned by Qatar Sports Investments, a group essentially owned and operated by the government of Qatar. So the question now is, how does the world of soccer compete not with a billionaire owner with deep pockets? but with an owner backed by the economy of an oil-rich nation. Stick around after the story for my conversation with Bruce to talk about how this one move could forever change the landscape and traditions of how European soccer is consumed. Now we present First Neymar, Now World Domination by Bruce Schoenfeld.
1: First Neymar, Now World Domination by Bruce Schoenfeld. Woot woo! The noise carries across the two practice fields where some Paris Saint-Germain players are finishing an early September workout with an informal game of five on four. It breaches the fences that surround the practice complex, permeates the offices of the administration building beyond. Woot woo! If you are nearby, you can't help but hear it. It is a noise of exuberance, a noise of joy, a noise that seemed delightfully inappropriate for a world football's carefully scripted soundtrack. Every few minutes, it shatters the tranquility of Cantologes, PSG's training ground in tidy Saint Germain Laye, beyond the Paris perimeter. Woot woo! And afterward, always, peals of laughter. The explanation comes later once the team has showered and lingered to talk and probably laugh some more. It was us Brazilians, Dani Alves admits. You have to enjoy yourself. You have to have a romp every now and then. Then midfielder Lucas Moura, known simply as Lucas, adds context. We're always like that, he says. We do something with the ball, we speak something funny, and everyone says woo. He grins. The French players don't understand. They just look at us, like, what are they doing? PSG has six Brazilians on its 24-player roster this season, The one overshadows the rest. Neymar de Silva Santos Jr. is now the most expensive footballer ever, following his $349 million contract and $263 million transfer from Barcelona a move that rearranged the balance of power in European football and might have changed the sport irrevocably. His arrival is the most dramatic manifestation yet of a plan by PSG's Qatari ownership to transform a team with virtually no football history into one that matters, and eventually the one that matters most. Neymar's deal came as a surprise to nearly everybody, including the Barcelona hierarchy, He'd been coveted by Nasser Al-Khelaifi, the Qatari businessman who runs PSG for more than a year. But the effort gained momentum after Barcelona's comeback in March's Champions League round of 16 match between the clubs. Down 4-0 after the first leg, Barcelona scored an impossible six goals in the second to win on aggregate 6-5. Neymar scored two and set up a third, yet all anyone talked about was Leo Messi, who had also been rather brilliant despite scoring just a single goal. At that moment, people close to him say Neymar understood that he wouldn't emerge from under the vast shadow cast by his diminutive teammate as long as he stayed in Barcelona. PSG intensified its efforts to land him, One by one, the Brazilians made contact. I talked with him, said Thiago Silva, who captains PSG. We all did. Maxwell, the former Brazilian international who retired this spring after five seasons with PSG to become the assistant sporting director, says, We had a family here ready to receive Neymar. Then, in July, with the season looming, PSG made an extravagant deal for Alves to help deliver Neymar. In 2013, when Neymar was leaving the Brazilian club Santos and offers from two of the world's biggest clubs sitting on his father's desk, Barcelona's Dani Alves persuaded him to choose his team over Real Madrid. This summer, Neymar and Alves discussed teaming up again, What matters is how well you live when you're playing somewhere, they agreed. Because you can't get back the time, Alves says now. That's the calculation you make, not the money. Alves was set to sign a two-year, $15.4 million contract with Manchester City this summer. A physical had been scheduled, a flight booked, then PSG swooped in. For years, Alves played a crucial role in guiding Barcelona's attack from the right wing, but PSG's $30 million offer was double what anyone else was willing to pay a 34-year-old defender. The additional $14.6 million? Apply it to the Neymar recruiting budget. He said to me, If we can go together, let's do it, Alves says. He spreads his arms wide. And here we are. Is Neymar worth such an intensive effort? Could anyone be? We're about to find out. If he is, and PSG eventually supplants Real Madrid as the world's most successful team, and Manchester United as the most popular, his achievement will have been unparalleled. If he isn't, PSG can find another superstar which it may already have done by filching 18-year-old Kylian Mbappe from Liga 1 rival Monaco for $214 million more, and start again. But the half-billion dollars that the Qataris have lavished on Neymar, including a $80 million annual stipend to serve as World Cup ambassador, will be read as a cautionary tale, how one team nearly bankrupt an entire sport. Billionaires have owned teams before, of course, but never through an arm of a national treasury. Tiny Qatar is using sports as a way to rebrand and eventually broaden its economic base. And once a country owns a club, Arsenal's Arsene Wenger has said, anything is possible. Since 2011, when he gained control of Qatar's sports investments, the entity that owns PSG... Al-Khelaifi has shown a disregard for convention that threatens football's traditional norms. Currently, he is under investigation both for, among other charges, allegedly bribing a former secretary-general of FIFA and circumventing UEFA's financial fair play regulations, which tie a club's budget for player procurement to its annual revenues. Qatar has already blown up world football twice— In 2010, the Qatar Foundation negotiated the largest sponsorship deal ever, $198 million, with Barcelona, the only major club that hadn't yet branded its jersey with a corporate logo for commercial gain. And then, in what ranks as probably the most stunning development in the history of the sport, the country managed to overcome an utter lack of football tradition and the oppressive summer heat of the Arabian Peninsula— to get the 2022 World Cup in a spare-no-expenses effort that also was marred by allegations of impropriety. So when Qatar Sports Investments bought PSG in 2011, it was hardly a surprise to see al khelaifi start spending. He bagged Zlatan Ibrahimovic in 2012 and an aging David Beckham, then 37, six months later. PSG won four consecutive Liga A titles, but couldn't advance past the Champions League quarterfinals. And crucially, it never captured the world's attention. In New York, Los Angeles, and Miami, where PSG played over the past three summers, its entourage was surprised to see so many Americans wearing replica jerseys of European teams. Except we didn't see any of ours, Maxwell says there was only one remedy. Neymar might not be the sport's best player, but he's not far behind Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. And at 25, he's the one who has his best days ahead. Equally important, he's extroverted, dazzling to watch, and commercially savvy, yet countercultural enough to appeal to trend-setting teens. While Messi comes across as a sort of socially inept goal-scoring savant... Neymar is the confident cool kid who happens to play transcendent football. The dimension of Neymar off the field is much bigger than any other player we could have signed, Maxwell says. With his image, we can make the club so much stronger in the U.S. and everywhere else. Neymar cost Barcelona some $70 million in 2013. Four years later, 105 goals in 186 games later, what might he be worth on an open market? Barcelona calculated his value as a complement to Messi and as the future centerpiece and face of the team. But to Al-Khelaifi, he represented far more. The BN Network, which is owned by QSI and run by Al-Khelaifi, has paid more than half a billion for Liga 1's international television rights through 2024. The World Cup will cost billions neymar is programming he's a marketing plan he's a loss leader he's a moon landing psg had to have him no stranger to rule bending barcelona was stunned that another team would raid its roster so brazenly neymar is difficult to replace albert soler one of the club's directors recently understated Soler never believed that Neymar would voluntarily leave the largest commercial platform in sports, certainly not for a team that hasn't reached a Champions League final and plays in a domestic league few outsiders follow. But Al-Khelaifi sees it differently. Unlike with Barcelona or Real Madrid or Manchester United, in Paris, Neymar has the chance to make history with a club that doesn't have any. PSG is the amalgamation of a small Paris club and one from the suburbs. Such mergers were common in football's early days, the late 19th century and early 20th, which is why so many clubs have united as part of their name. But PSG's creation didn't happen in Toulouse-Lautrec's Paris or even Hemingway's. It happened in 1970. Alone among the major cities of Europe, Paris has never quite taken to the sport. While London has twelve teams, including five in the EPL, Paris has only PSG and two more in lower divisions. Until Neymar's arrival, the most popular athlete in the city was a judoku, Teddy Riner. There are a lot of people in Paris who don't care about football, says Rai, the former Brazilian captain who played with PSG in the 1990s, I actually came there from Sao Paulo because I wanted more privacy. For the five years Rai played with the club, he traveled everywhere by metro. He even took classes at the Sorbonne. Not once, he says, did anyone notice him. No longer. These days, PSG's home games are sold out, and its road matches are too. Neymar can't jump into a waiting car without attracting a Beatles-like commotion— Paris has been changing, Maxwell says. And now, with Neymar, everybody's talking about him. Everybody wants to see him. The stadium is full because of him. Neymar debuted at Gangon with a goal and an assist. In his first game in Paris, where he was living at a Qatari-owned hotel because he hadn't had time to find a house, he scored twice with two assists against Toulouse. Still, nobody knew what it meant those Liga 1 games were exactly the sort that PSG had long been able to win. On the first Monday of September, the team practiced at Conde Loge, then it boarded a plane for Glasgow to get the first real evidence of whether this grand plan was actually going to work. It is dusk when the PSG bus arrives at Celtic Park, where the team will play its first Champions League game the following evening. Wearing warm-ups and sneakers, with headphones looped around necks, players spend time getting used to the field. A roving knot of Brazilians moves in syncopated rhythm, like a box of ping-pong balls spilled to the floor. At the center, with everyone else facing him, is Neymar. Part of that is the money, which tends to create a pecking order among professional athletes as it does among everyone else— but Neymar also exudes a magnetism that collects people around him, even as it offends a few. One ruffled teammate is Edinson Cavani, from Uruguay, who suffered Neymar's wrath when he stepped up to take a penalty that Neymar believed was rightfully his, earlier this year, and then had the audacity to miss it. For better or worse, Neymar acts like a star. He's so charismatic, Rai says, He looks like a teenager, but he loves to take responsibility, and the older guys can feel that. When it's difficult, he gets stronger. PSG's first group stage opponent is its antithesis. Celtic was founded in 1888, and until the recent decline of Rangers FC, it served as half of one of Europe's most bitter rivalries. The crowd that fills Celtic Park could have been lifted from the 1970s, Everyone wears a dark overcoat and a green scarf. When the first name of each starter is announced, the crowd supplies the surname. Celtic won its only European title fifty years ago with an entire team from around Glasgow, and its players are still regarded with the easy intimacy of someone who might turn up in line at the fishmongers. It is heartwarming and a striking contrast to PSG's erevistes a team cold from the roster of the biggest clubs in Europe and South America. The front line of Neymar, Mbappe, and Cavani alone represent $560 million in value, while the entire Celtic roster doesn't touch $100 million. Before the game, Celtic executives are heard saying that beating PSG, or even staying competitive, would be striking a blow for football as it once was they won't be saying it afterward. Led by Neymar, PSG races past a team that had gone undefeated in the Scottish League all last season, inflicting a 5-0 beating that is Celtic's worst defeat at home in more than a century. Their pace is astonishing, says Craig Gordon, the veteran Scotland goalkeeper. It's faster than anything else we will come up against. I don't care who we play we will soon learn that it isn't just Celtic. Bayern Munich comes to Paris two weeks later, with three Champions League finals this decade and a reputation as one of the continent's most dominant clubs. It leaves after a 3-0 thrashing, in such a panic that head coach Carlo Ancelotti is fired the next day. Next, PSG Anderlecht 4-0. It seems astonishing, considering Neymar had been playing in an entirely different system in Barcelona than the 4-3-3 Unai Emery has implemented in Paris, and has been with his teammates only a few weeks. The transition on the field has been easy because I'm playing with such good players, Neymar explains. We have already reached the point where we look at each other and understand exactly what the other one is going to do. It helps that four of them also play with him for Brazil. They gather several nights a week, usually at Marquinhos's home, or occasionally Silva's, to eat or listen to music, with the playlist usually curated by Neymar. We're very much like a family, Alves says. The result on the field represents what a team is like off of it. It really matters. We've created a great team off the field, and you can see the result on it. Surprisingly, this team within a team hasn't fostered resentment. Despite not speaking their language, Neymar has already forged warm relationships with French standouts, Mbappe and Adrien Rabio. Even Cavini is said to have settled his problems with Neymar, who went out of his way to hug him during a recent game. The Brazilian players bring the happiness. Lucas explains. The love of life. Even if we have a lot of problems, we smile. And on the field, that helps. We love playing. And everyone knows the quality of the players. PSG's early Champions League dominance has thrust the team into the unfamiliar role of European favorite, though al Khelaifi hasn't focused on winning this season or any one season. Rather, he's aiming for a period of sustained relevance that will lead to a period of sustained dominance, creating an image for PSG that one of Al-Khalaifi's advisors compares to what the New York Yankees might have if they played the world's most popular sport. While in Los Angeles recently, he ducked into a Nike store to see how PSG jerseys were selling, but couldn't find any. Disappointed, he asked if they might be ordered, the club was gaining popularity, and Neymar... The clerk cut him off. They'd had a rack full of shirts, he explained, but they'd been bought. Top seller, he said, ahead of Messi. The proof is anecdotal, but it pleases al Khelaifi as much as the team's flying start. We can't control the results on the field, although it has been going extremely well so far, thank God, he says, Our vision is longer term. Everything is about the plan. I can already see that the club is going really fast worldwide, even in America. It's not like last year. It's much, much more. After Glasgow, it seemed almost silly for PSG to return to the anonymity of Ligue 1. The next game was a Sunday night showcase against Lyon the team that has criticized it more than any other for its profligate spending. If PSG has become France's Yankees, it's in more ways than one. Its club is now hated by everyone who isn't a devoted fan. Yet everyone seemed to be looking ahead to Bayern, ten days away. Considering that PSG plays more Liga 1 games than anything else, that's a problem. But nobody else in Liga 1 can spend $477 million, or even one-third that, on a pair of strikers. When we had our period of domination, says Lyon CEO, Jean-Michel Olas, referencing seven consecutive national titles ending in 2008, it was through our own means. We didn't have the financial support of a country. In early September, Olas wrote a letter to Al-Khelaifi accusing him of ruining the sport in France by making it uncompetitive. Beyond that, PSG's spending can't help but upend the finances of even the world's biggest clubs. One answer might eventually be the establishment of a Super League, in which the Juventuses, Barcelonas, and PSGs of the world play one another every weekend rather than games in regional backwaters against outmanned opposition. Giving up domestic competition would be heartbreaking, of course, but would PSG care? More than any other club, it looks toward the future, which is far easier to do when you don't have a past. For now, though, that pesky Liga 1 schedule needs to be played. For the first few minutes of the Lyon game at Parc des Princes, PSG's fans seemed uncommonly quiet. It turned out that, in the most French gesture ever, they'd gone on strike. They were protesting the confiscation of banners criticizing Olas, the Lyon CEO. Fifteen minutes in, they started singing, sounding like nothing so much as a fan base that has been supporting its team for generations. They didn't stop when a Lyon defender put the game's first goal into his own net, nor when another Lyon defender did the same. Inevitably, cracks will start to show. If not in PSG, then in other clubs, as they struggle to keep pace. It's hard not to rejoice in the beautiful game PSG is playing, talents harmonizing with a grace and fluidity reminiscent of Pelé's Brazil. Still the sense that it could pull even the world's largest clubs to the brink of bankruptcy looms over PSG's success. When it won in Neymar, PSG was able to steamroll even mighty Barcelona with its Qatari financial might. With that in mind, what team is safe?
0: So welcome back, everyone. Uh, that was our, our piece on Neymar. Now we have joining us the author of the piece, Bruce Schoenfeld. Bruce, thanks for coming on.
2: Uh, you're welcome. Nice to be here.
0: Now, Bruce, the uh, the deeper meaning of that piece seems that you alluded to is the future of European soccer and the future of soccer in the world with this huge transfer of money. Can you talk about what how you see the direction of this going and how this has, as you pointed out, irrevocably changed the game?
2: Yeah, well there's two kind of cautionary tales at play here. One of them is is sort of obvious which is um teams at the in the upper echelon uh you know going to the point of bankruptcy and even beyond chasing players um, ch- chasing the value of players. If the value is as high as PSG has established with Neymar and you know you've seen uh, some of the world's top clubs really teeter on the verge of insolvency in recent years. And that is uh, that's with a, a salary structure and a player procurement structure that was relatively sane. The idea that Neymar is worth double what Gareth Bale was worth um, to Real Madrid only a few years ago is is uh, really. Uh, uh, almost crazy, I mean, really uh, sends things out of whack in a way that I'm not sure the world's top clubs will be able to sustain. Um, but the other almost more insidious part of this is that if you, if your player procurement budget, if you have uh, a handful of players anywhere close to what it cost PSG to get Neymar, you now have to say, how do we, we There are only 52 weeks in the year, and how do we recoup that income? How do we make enough money to, uh, to make it worthwhile to have these players. And one way that you're not making money, you're making a lot of money on these American tours in the summer. Of course, the Champions League um, runs deep into the tournament and with home championship, de- Champions League dates. But for most leagues, and uh, in some cases, the uh, English Premier League is an exception. For most European leagues, the domestic dates are almost lost leaders. When, when uh, Real Madrid goes to Elche, or when, uh, when uh, Paris Saint-Germain goes to um, Gingamp or one of, the, one of the tiny provincial clubs uh, before a stadium of 11,000 people with, with really no international audience that cares about it, you're losing money that week. And one of the fears is that if this uh, economic dynamic gets so out of whack, these teams are going to decide the only way to make this money back is to play each other every week and create a super league in which... Uh, Paris Saint-Germain is at Barcelona one week and, and Juventus comes to Paris the next. And, and those are the only teams they play, which would be, you know, a, a huge change in European soccer and in my mind, a, a very negative one.
0: So now if they do create this Super League, does this, you know, relegate some of these teams that have these long traditions to sort of be now looked at as maybe like a more of a minor league?
2: Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, when you when you think of it in terms of North American sports, it's you know it, it sounds reasonable right. I mean no one expects um, Durham to compete with Philadelphia. You know Durham Bulls are a top minor league team and the Philadelphia Phillies are a major league team and that's how it will always remain. But European soccer has had this relegation promotion domestic uh, thing that that uh, has really served it well. Um, it has uh, what it has enabled teams to do is. Um, have successful seasons in which they don't win the championship. And so uh, Tottenham Hotspur, for example, has been a first division uh, English team for 50 years uh, without winning the title. They last won in 1961. But year after year, as they finish fourth and sixth and seventh, and see other teams relegated into the second division, they can look around and say, you know, great year, We, we, we stayed up. We, we stayed up yet again. We're going to play next year against all the top teams. Of course, in the U.S. system, uh, the World Series just concluded, and the Astros won, and they're happy, and everyone else is in some measure unhappy. And, uh, and, and, and so this European construct enables... Teams and their fan bases to um, in, unless you're the bottom team in the fourth division. When you say, "Gee, we're, we're you know we're the we're, we're the last of 92 in the English system, and we're getting relegated out of the league," everyone else has something they can point to and say, "At least we're not this."
0: With a change in this dynamic, that could that just minimal success could essentially erase that, and then therefore you're, the concern is the interest wanes. And some of these teams could eventually go away, not just because of insolvency, as you mentioned, of chasing these huge players, but just not having any interest because everyone's focusing on what could potentially be a Super League.
2: Yeah, I mean, if, you know, the one of the arguments against promotion relegation in the U.S. is, look, if we're going to build these huge stadiums and, and get these sponsors, they have to be assured that. Uh, the top teams are going to come in week after week, and I think you could see that situation replicated in Europe where uh you know uh, uh, some of these new um, facilities being built 80,000 fans, um, many more luxury amenities than before it 's only worth doing if you're, if you know you 're not going to get relegated and have to play in a tiny league with very little television revenue, no champions league or or UEFA possibility uh, there has to be a guarantee. At a certain point, that yes, we're even if we are uncompetitive for a year or two, we do, even if we're the Cleveland Browns, we're still going to be in the NFL. And um, uh, you know, so far that has been avoided by various means that have kept smaller teams competitive: spending caps and redistribution of of income and and uh, uh, television money that trickles down into the lower leagues but at a given point if teams are starting to spend 200 and $200, 220 million dollars on a single player uh, and that's before they even pay his salary if they have to spend that just to acquire the player at a given point there's a danger that this at in order to make this back we we can't we can't have the old formula anymore we have to have this uh we have to have the assurance that we're going to get a certain amount of income
0: now uh the chairman of the cutter Sports uh, Qatar Sports uh investment group Nasser Al-Halefi he is clearly once this was happening he's clearly wearing his intention there's no back channels of what he's doing he's clearly wearing the intentions of the group on his sleeve how do you feel that there's not more outrage like the letter Lion CEO Jean-Michel uh Michel Alas sent saying like basically you're 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 ruining all of this like how is there not more outrage from more teams
2: well domestically in uh, Ligue 1 uh PSG what PSG has done is both um hurtful and helpful it has raised the profile of what has been the least important of the major leagues in in Western Europe um uh, underneath uh certainly England and and Spain and Germany and and Italy um, it 's raised that profile now, and the television money which which not so incidentally is was paid by b in uh, oh. also owned by cutter right. um, that worldwide television money has uh, uh, is distributed among all the clubs and has helped quite a bit and the the um, uh, some of these smaller teams that have had very uh, a very difficult time even filling their stadium now when p s g comes in, they sell out so it hasn't. It's been a sort of a, a double-edged sword. It hurts them in the sense that it looks like one of the Champions League spots is now kind of sewn up in perpetuity by PSG. But remember, that's not too different than the situation in many uh, uh, European countries. Bayern Munich dominates the Bundesliga to the same extent that PSG has dominated in recent years and is expected to continue dominating uh, Ligue 1. So that's not an unprecedented situation internationally there are uh, prohibitions put into place by uh, by FIFA, by UEFA, uh, the governing world and European governing bodies, that are supposed to um, mitigate this kind of spending. And one of the things is that you have, you, you, that each team can only spend commensurately with its income. So now PSG has until June to earn a certain amount of money, uh, uh in order to justify the purchase of not just um, Neymar but uh, but Kylian Mbappe, who they they bought from Monaco, mm-hmm. and if they can hit that number, then they will not be in violation of the uh, of the rule. If they don't hit that number, then they'll get sanctioned. And what what Khalifi has uh, has you know has said is wait to criticize us and, and see if we hit that number because. I think, he said, I think the addition of these players will generate enough interest around the world that with all this ancillary income, you'll see it's going to be more than worthwhile. And so I think there are a lot of people saying, okay, well, well let's see what happens. It seems uh, out of bounds. It seems like you've just kind of opened up the, the checkbook and spent far more money than any team has ever spent. But if if it can be justified, we'll, we'll see what happens. Now it should be noted this is the same guy who is who is under investigation for bribery in the uh, Qatari World World Cup uh, um, uh, campaign. So he has shown a willingness to uh, to push the envelope uh, at the at the very at the very least. So,
0: well, it does seem like going back to that real quick, Bruce. It does seem like sort of damaged logic where you have Qatar essentially using their their impending World Cup hosting. As sort of something that's very legitimate of where they are now placed in the world of international soccer, but at the same time, it is a even more than any political drama playing being played out domestically in the United States. We see these like people losing positions and jobs and bribery and charges. So it also sort of seems like this legitimacy is sort of fruits of a poisonous tree. So is there is there any talk about that? international soccer and in, in meaning that with a uh, going back to PSG and what the basically uh, the illustration of all this is is that they have incredible odds on all the European betting sites now to advance or win the Champions League but does this have is everyone watching this because there's essentially sustained success or is this sort of a one and done and trust the process and everyone's watching it because of that, or is it everyone watching it with a side-eye because of the potential corruption that is the core of all this?
2: Well, when you say everyone watching it, do you mean fan interest, or do you mean suspicion?
0: Well, I mean everyone watching it. I mean, well, fan interest is going to be, like, they love the drama, and they love you know reading the big headlines, but I just mean the other teams and the other governing bodies and the other ownership groups of some of these clubs.
2: You know, international, uh, world football has had a Long and inglorious history of team ownership by, uh, you know, by by criminals and and rogues and shady characters. And when you look at the uh, you know the Russian oligarchs who are buying teams and the and some of the Far Eastern companies buying teams, and then going back to you know Jesus Kili Hale, the former um, uh, Atletico Madrid chairman who, uh, who was who was jailed. And I mean, it's it's you know. There's a there's a certain amount of this baked into the kind of people who in the past have have owned soccer teams. It's it's hard to um, kind of draw the line and say, well, this kind of you know roguishness and criminal behavior was okay, but but now here's this country doing it with a huge checkbook, so we're we're up in arms. Uh, you know, it's one of the things that makes this difficult from a fan's perspective. That these, you know, this evil empire that's that's, you know, collecting the world's best players, um, is really beautiful to watch. I mean, that they've they've created a football team that is, you know, is, is so compelling and so well constructed that it's hard to root against them. And you know, Real Madrid did it with its Galacticos, you know, purposefully making its brand. We are going to take. We are going to going to create the. Most dynamic, most exciting, star-studded football team on the planet. If some years it blows up in our face and we don't win, that's okay, because it's the it's 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 the compelling nature of watching how this is going to play out year after year that is going to make this that's going to that's going to like make our uh, grow our company, grow our brand, and that's and that has turned out you know in, in this century, Real Madrid has emerged as Uh, by far the biggest and most interesting soccer club in the world or sports team in the world year after year after year. PSG, you might say, is following that model. The only difference is they have a national treasury kind of bankrolling it.
0: Moving on to beyond Europe, what can you say about how does does non-European countries play into these moves like the U.S. and China and India?
2: Well, you know, one of the... uh, one of the the situations that most of the world's uh, top clubs have realized in in recent years is that the U.S. is awakening as a as a football power, not so much on the field, but but in terms of interest and uh, a potential buying power. Um, the U.S. Is, soccer has kind of conquered the U.S. not the way that people thought it would, which was through youth programs and players, then you know going off and becoming fans of MLS teams, but in, in the sense that the world's top teams are now brands that are very well-known in American cities. And you you, go, you walk through the streets of whatever city and you see Barcelona, Real Madrid, Manchester United jerseys. Uh, what you haven't seen up until now were Paris Saint-Germain jerseys. And I think um, uh, Nasser Al-Khalifi uh, well understood that in order to conquer the world, you have to conquer the U.S. And in order to conquer the U.S., you can't just win the Champions League. You have to uh, create fan interest with known quantities. There were a handful of players, as I wrote in the piece, that... Uh, that, that you could sign, I mean, they signed David Beckham, who was the most most famous player in the world at that, at the end of his career, but uh, and, and that helped them get to a certain level. but now, to take that next step essentially there 's cristiano ronaldo there 's Lionel Messi, and there 's Neymar and of the three, Neymar was the only one who hasn 't reached his prime, and the only one who has this uh, attraction to um the emerging generation of soccer fans you know players in their teens uh, players and fans in their teens late teens early 20s with whom he <coughs> excuse me he connects as a as as kind of a you know a figure of 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 coolness and and he and has enabled PSG to in one swoop become a player in that whole uh, in that whole world, and the dynamic of which teams matter in the U.S., in China, which is another obviously huge and untapped or under under tapped market, um, and even in India, now all of a sudden PSG and Neymar are important. PSG is is uh, PSG shirts are seen. PSG summer tours are now coveted in a way that even last summer uh, has as the winner of four out of five uh, French championships. Um, five out of six, four out of five they still um, uh, no one really cared about p s g outside of uh, of France now all of a sudden they are the you know one might say the most coveted team in the world
0: so last question, Bruce, where do you see p s g in five years? What do you see that they've they 've accomplished and where do you see that they are
2: that 's a great question, and I think a lot of it has to do with how much this uh, this whole thing takes you know there've been there've been rumors which i think are no more than chatter that that neymar is not satisfied at psg hard hard or just annoyed with some of uh, uh, the coaching methods annoyed with um his transition to france uh, you know i don't i don't think that's true but one can see a situation where within the next year or two for whatever reason either economically um PSG decides it hasn't worked or on the field if the team let's say goes uh, let's say doesn't make the Champions League final each of the next 3 years goes as far as the semi final and doesn't get to the final and all of a sudden they're thought of as uh, the perception is this great experiment this great push has failed um I think it may be either back to square one for them where they say okay how else can we try to do this or maybe they look and say you know maybe this wasn't um this plan didn't make sense. Maybe we can't do this. On the other hand, five years from now they may be the four-time defending Champions League winners. They may have signed, you know, three more uh, 17, 18-year-olds and have, um, you know, another emerging core of spectacular players. And we may be talking about them as, you know, as the uh, as the Yankees or the. Uh, you know the old Montreal Canadiens or whatever of of world football. So it's just it's it's going to depend. That's what's so compelling about this is that you know you you can create a business model and you can draw up your plan and you can say we can spend all we want to spend, but they still have to play the games and they're undefeated this year. They're undefeated with Neymar, but a couple of far lesser league teams have been able to to hold them the draws. And as this get as the Champions League goes deeper into the knockout stage. Uh, after the holidays, um, it's going to be interesting to see just how well they play. And with all the pressure on them, as you point out, they're now, for the first time in the history of the club, they're now expected to win. So uh, how does that um, play out with players who have, um, you know, much of this team been performing kind of under the radar the past few years? It'll be exciting to see.
0: No matter what happens, it is going to be exciting to see. Uh, We'll leave it at that. Bruce, thank you so much for your time.
2: Mike, thanks so much.
0: Thank you for listening. Remember to subscribe to Double Truck Stories Podcast on the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again, and we'll be back soon with more Double Truck Stories Podcasts.